A blessed reunion. Our tree now stared at the darkening sky. The first few stars were beginning to appear, not as brightly as he remembered from his forest days, but they were, as the sparrow had suggested, a great comfort to see, especially when our tree felt so discouraged at looking down at himself. How long he stared at the sky, we cannot tell, but it had turned to black and the stars were peeping out when he noticed one star brighter than the rest that blazed triumphantly and gloriously and seemed to be a sign of hope. Brighter it grew, and brighter still, coming closer now, until it flooded our tree and his surroundings with a radiance that poured into every nook and drove away every shadow. And it reminded our tree of that brightest star he had seen in his dream when the three men with the staffs and the three men with the crowns adored the infant boy. The light was so dazzling that our tree was momentarily blinded. But when he could see again, he found himself in a sun-drenched glade at midday, amid trees of every type, many laden with blossoms and even fruit. Never had he seen such trees before. How beautiful they were! A cooling wind made their leaves quiver, casting playful shadows on the ground, and their resplendent flowers in many shades of colour swayed and cast their fragrance on the air. Ahead was a waterfall that fed a sparkling stream, and lo, by that stream stood a vision of feminine loveliness. Her serene presence seemed all joy, all peace, and her flowing robes were of sheer white. Our tree thought her the loveliest creature he had ever seen, neither tree nor human, something akin to both perhaps, only lovelier by far than any he had ever seen. Gilded was she in heaven's own light, a goddess perhaps, or a nymph, for our tree had heard legends of such creatures who had once roamed the earth. Dazzled by this vision, he was dumbstruck as she spoke. Dear brother! Could it be her, the one he had called sister, his dear companion of the forest, his forlorn neighbour on the cold grey ground, now transformed into this vision of transcendent loveliness? Come! she called to him, and held out her arms, for arms they were, and draped with a shimmering white fabric. And though he wondered how he could move to her, instinctively he stepped forward, for now he had two legs, as we do. He expected his steps to be heavy and clumsy and awkward, but to his surprise they were light and nimble and easy. Into his sister's arms he ran, and they wept together, wept from eyes, for now they had eyes that we would recognise. I cannot tell you how long they embraced, for where they were there is no such thing as time, nor is there death or sickness, mortality or destruction, but everlasting life. Our tree stepped back. You are so very beautiful, he said. And how handsome you are, she replied. She took him by the hand and led him upstream along the brook until they reached a pool of clear cool water. Look! she said, pointing down. He did, and gasped to see the handsome face looking back at him, his tall muscular frame, nor tree nor human, but more splendid than either, godlike in appearance, angelic. He reached a now dexterous hand to the water's surface, which rippled and gleamed and sparkled. Where are we? he asked. 
We are in the place where nothing dies, and there's no more grief or loss. We are in that place you told me of. The stream by which we stand flows into the river of life. Here is paradise, where the divine presence looks with favour upon us. Then I shall stay here forever with you. His sister looked down. Yes, my brother, but not yet. You must first return to the little boy and his father, for you shall gladden their hearts. Her tree felt sad, for no matter how comforted he was in the little garden behind the structure in which the little boy lived, he yearned to stay here in this place called Paradise, to enjoy its glades, its waterfalls, and to be here forever with his sister. But come, let me show you this world, she said, taking him by the hand again. Run, brother, run, she urged. And run they did, and with what speed, faster it seemed even than the swiftest birds he had seen in the forest. Now his sister let go of his hand, and they ran side by side, faster and faster, but never tiring. Her long graceful limbs swept over the ground in vast strides. She was as swift as she was beautiful, like an arrow's flight. But her tree had no trouble keeping up with her. They ran through fields full of harvest wheat, and leapt over rivers and glades, and down into valleys, and up over hills, and never tired. And now they approached the base of an enormous mountain, whose snow-covered peak loomed higher than any he had ever seen. It dominated the horizon like a mighty fortress, and seemed to touch the top of the universe. A tree looked at his sister, wondering how they would ever ascend its steep, slippery sides. Seeing his consternation, she chuckled and took his hand, and took him up, and up, and up, and up they soared. Her tree let out a cry of glee, for he was now flying, flying without wings, and the side of the mountain seemed to race downward as they ascended. Higher and higher and higher they flew, until they even surpassed the peak, and continued ascending. Beneath them now was a great alpine vista with innumerable peaks. Beyond it, they could see the rivers of this great other world, and its oceans and cities too. But these cities were not the cold grey edifice of decay he saw after he was hewn from the forest. They had streets of gold, buildings of sapphire, walls sparkling with jewels, gates of pearl. Fly, brother, fly, said our sister, and she let go of his hand again and he flew unassisted, he knew not how. He flew simply by wishing to fly, changed direction merely by wishing to, and his speed was faster or slower as he desired. Now our sister pointed to a great forest adorning a mountainside, like the one they had grown up in, with its tall trees swaying in the wind. And as our siblings descended to look more closely, they saw that the trees had faces, and the faces were smiling, and now they had hands, and the hands were waving, and now they had voices, and the voices were cheering, now they had legs, and the legs were running, and now they had wings, and the wings were flying. Our nymph siblings were joined in the air by a vast multitude of their airborne companions, who flew around them, and over them, and below them, and hailed them with greetings. And our tree recognised among them his dear kin from the forest, and hailed them back. Now the winged nymphs fell behind our wingless pair, and the whole multitude swept across that limitless sky in great triangular formation, 
From mountain ranges they proceeded over plains, and from plains to canyons, and from canyons to rivers. Delighted and enthralled, how tree gasped, though not from exertion, but from excitement and joy. Now let us have some fun, said his sister, as if this were not fun enough already, and soared again to a great height, and taking her brother's hand, she flew up and up and over and over and upside down, and looking down from his upside-down position, her brother saw the great skein of his kin streaming below him. Having traced a great loop in the sky, the host flew vast leagues, but in no time at all, and passed over a massive sea that sparkled invitingly. Suddenly, they all dived down, hurtling toward the blue waters. In a moment, they pierced its crystal-like surface and plunged into its light-filtered depths. A pair kicked their feet, for their bodies were supple and lithe, not bound by the stiffness of bark, and reaching great speeds, they leapt from the water like dolphins, plunged again, while their kin leapt and played alongside them, using their wings to fly underwater. There they saw yet more wonders, great fish of every colour, that frolicked among golden corals and jewelled rocks, and called to them, and great leviathans of the sea, who winked their little eyes, or waved their fins in greeting. Now approaching the opposite shore of that vast sea, they surged joyfully through the rolling waves, then leapt up into the air again, and up they flew, up and up and up, as the sky became increasingly colourful, with swirls of orange and pink and rose and purple, then traces of green and blue, onward and upward, onward and upward, until, emerging in the distance to his right, our tree espied another multitude of creatures on a parallel course. Like a delicate pink ribbon was their appearance as they fluttered through the sky on bright wings, followed by a trail of sparkling silver. Breathtaking in beauty, they stirred in the heart of our tree great love. Not long had he gazed at them when his sister pointed out another multitude on their left, a band of mighty winged warriors clad in bronze breastplates and wearing helmets with great white plumes streaming behind them. Some carried spears and shields, others were more lightly armed with a bow and quiver of arrows. Some had beards on their heavy square jaws, some were youthful in appearance, with curly locks framing their chiseled features. But all were splendid, powerful and mighty, courageous and valiant in appearance. Yet splendid as these two great hosts were, they seemed no less enthralled by the appearance and glory of our nymphs. One of the warriors nodded to our nymph, which made him feel very special, and he returned the gracious gesture learned from his forest days, when older trees taught the younger ones how to bow with reverence. And it seemed to our tree this warrior resembled the father of the little boy, and must be of the same tribe. Soon our multitude was surrounded by all manner of other multitudes on all sides flying in formation, including dragons, great-winged unicorns, and all manner of mythical creature. Then suddenly, the sky filled with a great rushing and roaring sound, and lit up with golden radiance. Spellbound, our nymph saw arriving on each flank of the multitude of multitudes, a great host of divine beings, clad in white and gold, with faces that shone in brilliance almost too bright to behold. The angels, 
her sister whispered to him. Now our tree began to doubt his place. Who am I, he thought, to be among such company, such great creatures, let alone in the vanguard? What am I doing here? He felt himself begin to weaken, started to feel faint, to lose altitude, and feared he would fall headlong onto the horn of a unicorn below. But one of the angels, seeming to sense our nymph's unease, surged ahead of his own multitude with a sudden burst of mighty wings. Turning, he approached with his hand stretched forth. He was holding an object that itself clasped something hot and glowing with fire. Now there is nothing a tree fears more than fire. Even cutting by men with angry-throated machines is not as terrible. So our nymph suddenly convulsed with terror and disbelief. In a flash, he imagined that this vision had all been a cruel hoax, a trap to lure him to an extreme, slow and agonizing death. Be not afraid, whispered his sister, as a few of our nymph's brethren supportively nestled around him. It's all right said another, you won't be hurt. Thus our nymph allowed the bright glowing ball to near him and to touch him on his lips. With that, warmth surged through his entire being and filled him to overflowing, and he immediately forgot all doubt and fear. Now the angel accelerated before the great host, provoking admiration from all, and our tree became aware that he too was the centre of attention some of the female nymphs were blushing. Wow, he got Gabriel. He heard one whisper. That's Gabriel, his sister echoed in awe. He stands in the presence of God. Presently, our nymph discerned through the swirling colours a citadel whose great spires towered beyond the range of sight. Its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel and clear as crystal.